Yeah, hi everyone. Um, welcome to this talk. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, so the, um, the subject of my talk this afternoon is um, human error in the veterinary profession. Um, there's a, a little bit of evidence now that we have acquired um, regarding this, this subject. Um, so I'll be presenting some of that. Um, I'll also be mentioning some of the literature that we have from, from human medicine um, regarding mistakes in practice. Partly because um, it's, a, it's an interesting topic in its own right, partly because there's an awful lot of very good, good quality evidence from human medicine. And of course, it's a, um, a comparative profession. Um, the other reason for talking a little bit about um, the evidence from human medicine is that it's, it has informed and it is informing um, our approach to research on human error in our, in our profession. Um, I also um, just wanted to talk a little bit about the um, historical narrative, if you like, of um, the research in uh, the human medical profession. Um, and I'd like to start off with this um, study um, performed in 1984. So this was quite a large study in, in uh, the state of New York. And um, researchers were concerned about um, human error in medicine and the, and the possible Im impact of that. Um, and so they um, performed this um, study whereby they, they looked at hospital records from um, around 50 randomly selected um, hospitals in the state of New York. They came up with a, a statistic that 3.7% um, of all hospital admissions were experiencing some form of adverse event. Um, and in a, in a small proportion of, of that percentage... The, um, the event actually led directly to the death of that, that patient um, during their hospital stay. So in 13,450 cases, um, their adverse event caused their, directly caused their death. Um, there's one other important study from around the same time in, in human medicine. Um, this was a study um, led by Atul Grandi, who you may have heard of recently in, um, in the media. His group... Uh, looked at um, adverse events in uh, the states of Colorado and Utah and came up with a similar statistic for the overall adverse event rate. Um, he said furthermore in his, in his study that around two-thirds of the events were surgical in nature, and I'll, I'll be coming back to that a little bit later on. So I just wanted to help us conceptualise, if you like, the, uh, the number of deaths in, in human medicine that... Um, uh, we believe are, are being caused by, by uh, adverse events or avoidable harm. So um, a few years later, a report um, for the then President Bill Clinton said that um, if you extrapolate the statistics from that first study that we looked at um, for, the, for the whole of the United States, um, that uh, lethal event rate would be um, around 98,000. So you could fill um, you could fill the New Camp uh, football stadium uh, in uh, Barcelona if you were to take out a few seats for FIFA cronies. Perhaps you could um, fill that stadium with um, the annual death rate from avoidable harm um, in the United States. But getting back to our profession, you know, how much um, evidence do we have that we're that we're causing any harm? Um, are we anywhere near as um, unsafe as the human medical uh, profession um, 
is we, we've got this study, it's a, it's a small study um, published in 2004, and um, the researchers sent out a questionnaire to uh, recent graduates from five British um, veterinary schools, and they asked, um, have you made a mistake in your first, um, in your first 18 months of uh, veterinary practice? And 78% of the respondents said that they had. Um, and there on this slide are a few of the mistakes um, that they were making. Um, so the failure to perform an appropriate diagnostic test, um, accidents during non-neutering surgical procedures and so on. So some evidence there that, that we are causing harm um, through uh, avoidable uh, human error. Um, another source of research was um, this study published in 2013. Um, so the researchers invited um, 22 veterinary equine anaesthetists to a behind-closed-doors um, discussion of error in, um, in their speciality. And they concluded that there was an agreement that uh, human error does also happen in equine anaesthesia, so a very specialised um, field of veterinary medicine, but interestingly nobody speaks about them. Uh, do we have more evidence of uh, avoidable harm um, occurring in our profession? We need to be a little bit careful about um, this study and how we um, interpret the results, but this is the confidential inquiry into perioperative uh, deaths in uh, dogs and cats, published in 2008. And the statistics there are on the screen for um, the overall risk of anaesthetic death in dogs and cats. The authors said that an, an equivalent statistic um, in human anaesthesia is significantly lower, 0.02 to 0.005%. And um, they went on to wonder that um, because, because a significant number of the um, perioperative deaths in dogs and cats were occurring within the first three hours um, after the anaesthetic or sedative, um, might just closer monitoring of those patients help uh, drag down uh, that statistic from the last slide. So we have to be careful, uh, as I say, about interpreting uh, this particular study, but there might be um, some avoidable harm going on um, uh, evidenced by those, those statistics. Um, do we have more evidence? Um, well, this is a, a, a larger study published um, large, last year in, in 2015 by a group at Nottingham University. And they, um, there was a sort of two-pronged study. They looked at um, five years' claims um, to the profession's largest indemnity insurer. They also held um, focus groups, so they invited um, practicing vets and nurses um, to discuss um, mistakes in practice. Um, the statistics from their um, investigation of indemnity insurance claims are there on the screen. 50% um, um, or about 50% of the claims to the insurer were for um, surgical events. So, so some more evidence there of um, avoidable harm. I'd just, I'd just like to mention another couple of um, papers, however, from, from human medicine, just to take it back to human medicine, because I think it's, it's important that we um, perhaps review some of the underpinnings of the patient safety movement. Um, so the approach that's now being taken to, to the subject of human error in human medicine. Um, there are two, um, these both really good papers, actually. Um, the first one by Robert Helmreich, um, psychologist was advocating that 
human medicine takes more of um, the aviation industry's approach to um, accidents. Um, the second paper is uh, by James Reason, um, a bit of a, a personal idol of mine. Um, another eminent psychologist, he talks about um, human error, uh, the types of human error that occur um, and the ways, the ways to manage them. Um, he said to his medical audience, look, I know you're all very clever, very clever guys, um, you're highly, highly trained and highly skilled, but when it comes to accidents, I, I might have something to, to teach you. There are really two approaches um, uh, to the subject of human error in, in industry. Uh, there's the person approach where uh, people are, are labelled careless or reckless, and, and a conclusion to the um, error or the mistake, if you like, is to just uh, name and blame them and possibly um, retrain them. He argued that that was the dominant tradition in, in human medicine at the time, so around the year um, 2000. He said, that, however, there is another approach, and echoing um, the paper written by Robert Helmreich, he said that um, the aviation industry, um, the nuclear power generating industry, take a different um, approach. They they view their system um, as one that is um, involved in technically challenging outcomes. Um, whilst people are, um, are very much um, integral to those industries, um, errors are inevitable and people will, will make mistakes. Um, it's just human nature. But he said that the, the silver lining to the cloud, um, and indeed what aviation and, and nuclear power um, have learnt, um, is that by, by investigating these accidents forensically um, and not just simply naming individuals and blaming them, we, could, we can learn something, about, learn something very valuable about our system. So they were taking a, an evidence-based approach. Um, and he argued that medicine was just the same, it's just yet another complex industry really. Um, it's concerned with technically challenging outcomes. Um, people, of course, are a very important part of the system, so human errors are inevitable, and mistakes will be made. However, he said that um, if we investigate these accidents in all their complexity, just like we do in aviation or, or the nuclear power generating industry, we can potentially learn some very um, valuable lessons about about the system and about the way people work. This is his um, rather elegant uh, Swiss cheese model of accident causation. Um, I apologise for the slide. So those those yellow squares are meant to be slices of um, Swiss cheese. Um, so he says that this is um, uh, a demonstration of the etiology of accidents in any complex industry, so that's aviation, for example, but also human medicine. And of course, it also applies to veterinary medicine. So one of those slices of Swiss cheese is the active failure of the person who's made a mistake. Um, and the whole represents the error that they've made. Accidents, however, only ever occur um, through a combination of different factors. The other slices of Swiss cheese um, symbolize problems elsewhere in the system. So you may have um, budgetary constraints that lead to um, staff shortages. It might lead to um, high workload for individual workers. So 
um, vets or nurses having to work um, hard to, to keep up with the pace of uh, the case, their caseload. Um, other latent factors, as he called them, uh, might be communication issues within the practice or the hospital. Um, so antiquated ways of communicating, perhaps. Other, other problems might be with uh, individual pieces of equipment or problems with supplies. Other problems might be um, a problem with the culture of, of that hospital or, or that practice, um, a problem with its safety culture. And essentially he said that um, as, a, as a psychologist, um, you know, we are all going to make mistakes sooner or later. There are three um, broad categories of human error. Um, which we're all liable to make. Uh, there are um, cognitive slips and lapses, uh, cognitive rule and knowledge-based mistakes that we're all liable to make. And we're all also liable to um, perform violations or workarounds, which we, we don't have time to go into today, but another important area. So he was making the case that really, um, if we're ever going to improve the, the, the safety and the quality of our care, we need to move past this, um, this situation where we just focus and highlight on, on individual error. Um, as, he, as he explained in his article, there's, um, there are types of cognitive mistake that we're all liable to make because, um, because we're human. But is there evidence that this system-based approach is, is even... Um, a feature of medicine. Well, this is a large study from, um, from human medicine. Um, it was published in 2012. And the authors um, performed a large literature review of de documented cases of, of medical error. Um, they reviewed around uh, 80 um, separate papers and they came up with a list of active failures and latent failures that they had identified in this literature review. Um, it ended up being something called the Yorkshire Contributory Factors Framework, which is now used in the NHS to, in to investigate cases um, of uh, avoidable harm. So it's a, a bit like a tool in, in civil aviation to investigate um, mistakes that, that happen. So there, um, very crudely, is, is a summary of their uh, literature review. They found evidence of, yes, active failures. Doctors were, were making um, those cognitive mistakes that James Reason has alluded to. Um, they also make, uh, also an important factor, however, in those documented cases of um, medical error are um, quite a few latent failures. So conforming to James Reason's Swiss cheese model, they found problems with supervision and leadership in some examples. Uh, they found problems with uh, management of staff and staffing le levels. These, these are documented cases that, um, uh, where they found that these latent failures were, were contributory factors. Uh, we've got some more there um, down there at the bottom. Safety culture again, that was an important conclusion of the mid-staffs inquiry. But what about our profession? Have we got any, are we developing um, a evidence base of latent factors contributing to cases of human error. Um, so uh, do we conform to Reason's Swiss cheese model of accident causation? So this, uh, again, was another conclusion from the study um, published last year by the group at Nottingham University that we talked um, a little bit about earlier on. Um, so they're, they're 
investigation of um, indemnity insurance claims and also um, the results of their work with um, focus groups um, of vets and nurses, they came up with a, a list of um, contributory factors to, to veterinary error. Um, they found evidence of active failures at work. So yes, vets and nurses are making cognitive uh, errors um, that conform to James Reason's model. Uh, they also found evidence of latent failures at work um, in some cases as well. Again, problems with communication, that, that word that seems to keep cropping up. Um, issues around leadership, um, equipment problems, um, productivity means um, individual staff workload contributing, contributing to errors and organisational failure. Also, um, they found some evidence to support that that um, could legitimately be called a, a latent failure in some cases. More evidence of latent failures in veterinary medicine. Um, this was a nice study um, published in 2012 um, that um, looked at two typical UK veterinary practices and the researchers physically followed vets and nurses around in these two practices for a total of six weeks. And um, they recorded, they documented 40, 40 errors in that time. They said that none of those had contributed directly to a, um, a case of patient harm. But the human patient safety movement would teach us that these free lessons or, or so-called near misses are just as, um, just as important for those individual practices um, in terms of learning from, from the mistakes that were made. So in their um, observations, they found latent, systems at, uh, latent system factors at work. So again, it would appear that we, we also conform to um, reason Swiss cheese model. Um, we've got some examples there on the slide. Lack of communication again, but also time pressures and staff, um, staffing levels also contributing to, um, contributing to those 40 errors that they, uh, they discovered. Does the system approach work would be the next logical question if we're following James Reason's argument. Um, we have this um, study which you may have, may have heard about. It was called the Safe Surgery Saves Lives campaign. So this was a WHO, or World Health Organization, effort to improve the surgical um, safety record um, of human medicine. Um, this, this group was also led by Atul Gawande. They came up with a checklist, which was designed to uh, confirm the completion of some essential steps to, to safe surgery. And um, they also hoped that th through using this checklist, um, theatre team staff would just start communicating more. This is the checklist. It's very, it's very simple. Um, there's one section to be completed before the induction of anesthesia, um, one to be completed just before the first skin incision, and there at the end, uh, one portion to be completed um, just before the patient leaves the theatre. Um, one of the tick boxes in the last section asks that a, a nurse um, completes an uh, instrument swab and needle count. So the, these are all very simple steps, um, as I say, that you might have um, heard about. Um, interestingly, um, if we reference the, the previous work um, done by the group at Nottingham University, in which they found um, examples of retained surgical item and um, retained swab, um, hopefully this, this type of checklist would, um, would help negate that, the, the risk of that happening. 
did it work? Well, there's an awful lot of research to suggest that checklists do work. And this is just one study um, of eight hospitals. Um, they audited their surgical activity before and after um, uh, starting the checklist. Uh, they found that complication, complication rates fell um, overall by 36%, but the death rate fell by even more, by uh, nearly 50% just through the use of a checklist. Um, so this is just one example of potentially of the effects um, or the benefits of, of using a systems approach to our, pro to our approach um, to human error. So just going back to our football stadium, if for sake of argument we say that um, of those 98,000 people's um, lives, um, half of them died because of a, of a surgical event, the checklist um, potentially if used nationwide in, um, in the United States, could save around 25% uh, of the seats in that stadium. What about evidence of uh, the benefit of checklists used in veterinary practice? Well, of course, these are very early days. We don't have an awful lot of um, evidence. Uh, one letter, however, here, for example, um, written by James Gasson. Um, he was working at the time at the Animal <coughs> Health Trust. Um, his, his conclusions were, were that um, their use of the checklist had helped uh, develop situational awareness, which is an, in, an important aspect of uh, work in, in high-risk industries. It's a fascinating area of psychology in its own right. And he also mentions that it's um, helping them um, talk about concerns that they might have from moment to moment in the theatre. So evidence of a, of a checklist, uh, evidence of the benefits of a checklist. Um, here we've just got a, a few um, articles that I, just struck me in the last couple of years. We've had a few editorials now talking about the benefits of patient safety and the benefits of checklists in, in practice. The last one by Matt McMillan um, references the um, confidential inquiry into periopsid deaths that we talked about a little bit early on. Um, he said although those statistics had come down in the last 20 or 30 years, um, he felt that they, they were, were high, higher than they should be. He felt, that, he felt though, that um, just by using patient safety principles, um, not necessarily waiting for the next generation of anaesthetic drugs to come along, but just using some basic patient safety principles might help drag, drag those statistics down much further, more to where the human um, perioperative death rate is. I just wanted to mention Bradley Viner's work on clinical audit because it... Um, it's um, part of the uh, final paper I'd just like to um, mention. This final paper um, uses clinical audit and patient safety principles in a, in a rather elegant way. So this last paper is, is from the veterinary profession. Um, this was a group at the University of Georgia in the States. Um, they wanted to audit their um, anaesthetic activity. They wanted to see just how many incidents were occurring um, week to week in their small animal uh, hospital. We've got two um, periods there. And the first period was um, pre an intervention. Just to mention that um, anaesthesia there is performed by um, a veterinary student, um, supervised by a, a nurse, but also a qualified veterinary anaesthetist. And they, they defined um, their... their um, incidents that they wanted to um, log as um, any deviation from usual care um, that caused injury or 
posed a risk of harm to a patient. And these are quite interesting statistics in themselves. I haven't put um, every last um, statistic on there from their first auditing period, um, but at the top there, um, 20 incidents of an APL valve um, being left closed uh, when a patient was attached. Um, further down, 16 of esophageal intubation. Well, we might expect that in a, in a teaching hospital, um, but also some problems around um, giving the wrong dose of a drug giving a, a drug uh, by an incorrect route. Um, as a result of those incidents that, um, that they logged in period one, they, they decided to come up with four very simple um, system, uh, system uh, uh, changes to their system. Um, prior to any drug, the individual would, would call out aloud uh, what they were about to give and to whom and to buy what route. They started using a, um, a, a bandage over intra-arterial catheters, um, which was a, a colour they didn't use anywhere else in the hospital. This was a, as a, an aid, aid memoir, I believe. And then they, they started using a very simple checklist of two items on their anaesthetic record. One to um, ask uh, somebody to confirm that intubation had been performed correctly, and one to simply um, for somebody to simply go into the theatre and check that it was all ready um, to receive the patient. So did this systems approach um, achieve um, benefits for the quality of care in that hospital? Um, the, re the results um, are, are there. So 3.6% was the pre-intervention incident rate. And this came down to 1.4%. Um, after the intervention in, in the second auditing period. So um, and in their conclusions, they, um, they state that um, it would appear that um, practical changes to the, pract to the practice of anaesthesia, um, a system-based approach, um, uh, improves um, or, or reduces the number of um, staff-caused anaesthetic <coughs> incidents. So we're starting to get... Um, some evidence now trickling down through of a systems approach benefit, benefiting the, the quality of our work in terms of our robustness to, to human error. I just wanted to finish um, uh, with this slide. I don't know how, how well I'm doing for time, but um, uh, this is a great book, Beyond the Checklist. It's um, about um, the use of aviation-based uh, safety theory, again, in human medicine. Um, but I also wanted to mention it because of the title. Um, I think it's important that we don't get too hung up on, on checklists, although they, they do have a, a massive role to play. There are other elements um, that we need to consider uh, when we're talking about patient safety, um, probably in the veterinary profession as well as the human profession. Uh, there's one final quote there, um, which um, alludes to that and of course, we don't have any evidence that, that, we need, that we need to take this major cultural and behavioural shift, but um, one could argue that uh, we do. And just to mention that um, one, of the one of the other aspects of patient safety is um, safety culture, and, and that's something that, uh, that I'm uh, researching at, um, at the RVC. Um, we're looking for um, any vet or nurse in small animal practice in the UK um, if they'd like to complete our survey, we'd very much uh, like that. 
and um, it's there if you search for REC patient safety. Um, thanks to my two supervisors, and I'd just like to leave you with a picture of Barcelona Football Stadium on match day.